Well, here we are, back from our travels all around the place. And we're just total bareback. We haven't even made a list of things to talk about. We're just going to start talking until sales cracks the shits this is how, and makes me stop. This is how loose I am now that I don't work anymore. I'm just like, sure, Ugh. I'll start talking. I don't need a rundown. And do you know what the funny thing is? That as we sit down to record this, it's budget day and neither oh. of us... It's like you would be like, you, you know, know nervous <laughs> diarrhea. Also, normally budget day is on your birthday in a kind of like hideous, cruel it, blow, but it it's out of sequence, so it's not your birthday. It is out of sequence. Do you, know how many of times. Text, do you know how many text messages I've had from people saying, <laughs> you must be so happy not to be down doing the budget. It's can can really, confirm. Yes. It's been She's, really funny. In fact, Hot Callum texted me this morning at 6.07am, <laughs> it's budget night and you can get as drunk as you like. <laughs> It's a pity that you're leaving because I was thinking actually it would be so much fun to just like open up a giant bottle of champagne and watch the budget broadcast whilst like loudly heckling like, yeah, but what's the off-road deflator? (laughs) Yeah. Now tell me what real GMP is. You know, it's just, yeah. um, No, it's usually the week from hell because it's it's either, my birthday's either usually because the budget's in the second week of May, so my birthday lands either the day before, the day of, the morning after, sometimes during that week, or if it happens to land not on the budget and it's on the weekend, it's Mother's Day, so nobody wants to celebrate with me. So it's just, it's an absolute just diabolical mess. It's an absolute shit show. But um, I I just have this memory of thousands of budgets of your face as I have. And over like a tastefully wrapped book or something, just the thinnest lips possible, like a sort of, you know, polite oh. smile. And also your audible groans as lovely people ring you to say happy birthday. You're like, I can't take this call. Stop being kind. <laughs> it's you know, the great irony too, because I did 15 years of the budget because I had three years of late line before I moved to 7.30. And I, the great irony, of course, is now not having to do it is I finally feel like I actually know how to read the budget papers, find the stories, know. you know, like it's t- it t- took a – it's a very intimidating thing to do and now yeah. that I feel like I know how to do it, I don't have to do it anymore. Oh. <laughs> hey, can I tell you something super exciting? Yeah. So you know how I banged on so much about the National Theatre production of Frankenstein? Oh, I know where this is going, yeah. So the <laughs> lovely people at the Dendy got in touch and they were like, yeah, we heard you uh, banging on endlessly about that and in response so that you can stop badgering everyone about it, we are going to play some encore screenings of that. So the Dendy, which I think has branches in Sydney, Canberra and Brisbane. No, um, Melbourne, so you have to absolutely lobby them, people, because this sounds like a good vein to get in, like, because if you just whine on this podcast about <laughs> anything any, that you want to see, ever. Yes, right. is that what happened with Cabaret because we were whining about it or is that just... No, I don't think so. No, yeah. Oh, that was I mean, the 50th anniversary, wasn't yeah, it, when they screened right, yeah. But it gave you a taste for power, power and influence, exactly, I think. Exactly, exactly. So, 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 now the, so the dates, they're up online so you can book tickets. And, and Crab and I have, but I'm not going to tell everyone what dates we are because then you'll just want to come on that date and, um, you know. What a lovely gesture to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, mate. That's a bit rude. Hi, I'd like to avoid meeting any of you if possible, so I'll be seeing uh, my version in a private screening in Finland. Thank you so much, but uh, do feel free to book uh, elsewhere from me. No, she's actually got the entire cinema just like... I meant reserved. That. I meant that in the nicest possible way. No us. usher is to meet your eye. <laughs> now... 
So the Cumberbatch as Creature version is on um, November 12, 13 and 16 and the Johnny Lee Miller as Creature version is December 10, 11, 14. Now, I recommend seeing both, as you know. Which should you see first? Well, you have to see the Cumberbatch because it's in November. Okay, Cumbersnatched. So you're you're getting Cumbersnatched first. Right. Is that the order (laughs) in which you would view it? I would prefer to be <gasps> Miller as Creature first. Oh, I hate to be ungrateful yeah. people at Denby. Oh, wow. I'll Dendi, take what I can get. You had one job. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> to read Lee Sales' mind. <laughs> so anyway, that was incredibly nice. And so I'd really like now, what needs to happen now that I, ha- that I have exercised this power that I wasn't aware that I had is it needs to sell well because otherwise every time I say, hey, I'd really like to see Casablanca, the Dendy people are going to ignore it if nobody goes to see Frankenstein. So <sighs> can everyone just please go and see Frankenstein so that I can realise my dream of... So to be clear, um, hey, everybody who Lee doesn't want to see in person, please do go the extra yard and outlay your hard-earned cash to not see Lee so that Lee can continue to be indulged. So <laughs> you won't have see, I missed anything? <laughs> you won't see me, but you will see Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller right. absolutely smashing it out of the park. Very good. Okay, while we're going through diary entry things, I am currently working out how I'm going to get to Canberra and go and see that exhibition, which I think you have seen. Oh, Cressida Campbell. Yeah. This was unbelievable. I I just, if if anyone has any excuse to be in Canberra, please, or you live there, please just book yourself a couple of hours to go and see the Cressida Campbell exhibition. It really, it has to be in my favourite exhibitions that I've ever seen. Competitive with the clock? Competitive with the clock. Absolutely, absolutely. CWTC! I was was going through in my mind thinking about things that I've seen that I thought were really phenomenal. One of them was an early Picasso exhibition, which was really amazing. I love seeing people's early work Mm because you can see that they're not fully formed, but you can see the bones of it. I used to, all the time when I lived in Washington, go to the National Gallery. They had this whole room of Alexander Calder mobiles. It was really beautifully laid out. And because they move, it was different every time you went in and just so complex and beautiful beautiful and, you know, perfectly balanced and stuff. So I loved that, absolutely loved that. Uh, But this, pound for pound, oh, my God, the work is so beautiful. I feel like she's the kind of visual arts equivalent of Helen Garner in that that it's, it's simple, it's clean, it's finding the interesting and the beauty in everyday life. From the moment you walk in, like the foyer is brilliantly done. They've set up this massive curved wall that is basically a huge, huge print of one of her works. And so you're just kind of surrounded oh. by this huge Cressida Campbell. I would like my life to be like that. I would, oh. like, I would like my life to be wallpapered by Cressida Campbell. <sighs> I was just dying from like just Every single thing in it was heaven. Is there a good dosage of nasturtiums in there? Because yep, a ton. Oh, God. Heaps. And then there's – so the work itself is really interesting, but then the method is really fascinating. There's this film that they have rolling on a loop, which I highly recommend watching. It's really well shot and produced and explains her process of how you do the lino cuts. Okay, stuff. I would like to oh, see woodblock. that because – Sorry, woodblock it is, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So she went and studied it. She went to the National Art School and then she studied in Japan. And so it is this mm. unbelievably, and they show the whole thing, laborious process where she carves on this block of wood. Then she puts this big sheet over the top of it, which she presses down when it's wet with paint, mm. the wood block. And then she peels that off mm. and then she kind of touches that up. And so some artworks are the piece of paper that she's been working on mm. and some artworks are the actual woodblock and so yeah. they're like the mirror print of each other. So it's really fascinating seeing that and just 
shocking how laborious it is. But you can see, even though it's laborious, it really the labour is really reflected in the work because the work is so original looking mm. and just so, so beautiful. So I went, I took an hour. She to a lot of podcasts, surely. She said she talks a lot on the phone while she's oh. um, doing it. Yeah, so and she does have the radio on, but she talks, she chats a lot on the phone. So she's able to kind of be doing it and chatting at the same time. But she did say, unsurprisingly, that the, the stress of the like when you put the piece of oh, sheet onto it and then peel it back <laughs> is quite high and she doesn't talk on the phone when she's doing that. But it was so great. I spent an hour kind of going through and then I just went straight back to the start and went again because it was just so she great. You were going to I'm going to blow my mind. It's going to blow my mind. Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually trying to work out how I can get my mum over to kind of like oh, pincer the movement. Yeah. Sales was texting me from the exhibition just these sort of weird little muffled squeaks of joy. <laughs> it was just like, oh! <laughs> so, yeah, I think it'll be a chatter-friendly exhibition, oh, right? It's I, so chatter. I just could not have loved it anymore. It was just so beautifully done and it's brilliantly curated and just it kind of leads you through it so well. It's almost overwhelming how much interesting and beautiful stuff there is to see. That's why I kind of went through just in a complete spasm of joy and then had to go back to, to the top again. It was just heaven. Oh, look, I love her. And I even when I heard that it was coming, because um, it, it had an opening that well, we actually got invited We to, did. And, and we then we were in it. Perth at yeah. the time or like bombing around the West in a monster truck or something. And I had said to you I'd wait till we were in Canberra for our Canberra Chat 10 yeah. show and then I happened to be down there and I was like, Nice, no, screw her, I'm going straight Great, away. thank you for that. <laughs> but I will go back Display for sure. Of loyalty. It was great. Um, can I tell you something that uh, has happened to me in the last month that has just changed my life in the most fantastic way? And I was actually considering like, oh, should I mention this on the podcast and will it make our podcast into a sort of morning show kind of promo for devices <laughs> and appliances? Like, a, oh, Ma, have you tried this electronic martini stir? It totally takes the grunt work out of making martinis. I've already got a feeling this, whatever you're going to you say, is going to involve me going, ow. <laughs> No, no, no. No, no, no. It will not. Yeah. So I'm going to go full disclosure, right? This is not a product placement thing. I have not been given a free thing or anything like that. But many, many years ago, Breville, the Australian Mm. company, advertised on our podcast. Mm -hmm. And we actually went and and visited their Sydney HQ, which is like this incredible Willy Wonka factory because they've got all these designers that are based in Sydney that design all these products. That was super interesting. Wow. Like they've got about 200 people in this, you know, just – making up stuff. I like, found that a very interesting thing to right? do, actually. And I've never done anything like that and I yeah. found that fascinating. It was really interesting, wasn't it? And they had like 3D printer rooms and then people that were just like designers and engineers and stuff just like fart-assing around with like, hey, what about if we made a toaster oven but made it, you know, airborne or whatever. And they like, had like some of the old devices, like <laughs> in that, so the history of yeah. like, so I was able to go, well, where's the electric knives? Why aren't we doing electric knives anymore? Oh, where's man. the jaffle maker? I remember that. You really did give them a hard time about discontinuing the electric electric knife and I was just like wanting to fade into the shrubbery. It was so embarrassing because <laughs> you were kind of like polite about it but also quite insistent about it. And they were like, um. Anyway, while we were there, we had demonstrated to us what was yes. then their quite new invention, which was their pizza oven called the Pizzaiolo. 
Was it a thing that made stuff really fast? Yes. So yeah, it was like, okay. so the big thing about it is that it's a portable pizza oven. It's electric, so sort of tabletop, but gets to heats that are internal heats that are unrivaled by any other sort of right. electric, you know. And they made this pizza um, in the, you know, demonstration pizza lab. And they were saying how they invented it and they actually put it in a suitcase and took it over to like Brooklyn or something and took it to all these famous pizza places and got them to test it. And it gets to 450 degrees inside. Mm. So, you know, you pop this pizza and it's cooked in two minutes mm. and it's like a wood-fired pizza. Anyway, we ate that pizza. It was delicious. I remember, yeah. And um, I thought, wow, that's like quite an amazing bit of kit. But it's also like it's about a thousand bucks or something. So it's like right. a serious outlay. How, anyway, big, but how big is it? It's like about the size of a sauce? sort of like a, um, you know, a, um, a cabin baggage wheelie oh, trolley yeah. okay. suitcase. Right. Like it's sort of, you know, so you can lift it. Right. Um, One pizza at a time? One pizza at a time. Right. But two minutes. So yeah, anyway. Right. Anyway, so look, I didn't invest because I just thought, oh, you know, I haven't got enough room to yeah. put it. And also, like, it's a heap, a heap of cash, but I've never forgotten about it. And now I've moved house and I was talking to our friend Nick who lives around the corner and he was like, oh, I need a pizza solution. And I went, well, do you want to go halves in one of these things? Which we've done. Oh. So, Ow. exactly. Ow. <laughs> so we've amortised the expense and also because it comes and goes between homes, it's sort of like... Not you know, such a pain to store. Yeah, plus, you know, you don't get that awkward feeling of like, oh, I've just spent all this money on an appliance that I now, like, that is fallow half the time. Yeah, right. And also because you think, well, you've got to order a lot of takeaway pizzas before you've sort of essentially yeah, sure. paid off the thing. But obviously by cost sharing, we've sort of relieved that um, pressure. Anyway, oh, my God, it is the... I'm sorry, like, again, I have not been in contact with Breville or this is not an endorsement, this is not, you know. They well, it sounds like an endorsement, yeah. but well, it's well, not it a paid endorsement. Well, I yeah. think, well, I endorse books, so, you know, yeah. it's just like it's an awesome piece of kit. Like, wow. It's, you get all of the stuff that happens, that doesn't happen with a pizza that you cook in your oven, which gets to like, you know, your oven gets to like 250 or yeah. whatever. And you know how like a pizza that you cook in an oven is always a bit cakey, well, you don't get... Make. Yeah, that. well, it's yeah. never quite, you know, as great as a bought one, basically. But this thing is so hot that it makes the base crisp yeah. and then the dough, like the crust is sort of fluffy and chewy inside mm. and then charred, you know, on, on the, the edges. Oh, my God. And so what about the dough? So do you have like a pizza dough recipe that you rely on? Or? Well, the first one that I got, the first day that the machine arrived, I was so impatient to try it that I made it like a fast pizza dough, you know, that was like a fair bit of yeast, a bit of sugar and stuff to make it all happen quickly. And even that relatively shitty dough performed incredibly well. Like mm. it's just sort of like, I don't know, the, the high heat just improves everything. Right. But then when I catered a serious teenage party a week or two later, I made some dough that I got from the Serious Eats website, which also is where I read a review of this machine that tipped me over into buying it because right. this review is just like, oh, my God, this thing is next level. And that made me go, okay, we're doing it. We're doing it. Anyway, so and that I did a sort of cold fermentation method. You'll be very familiar with this, of course. Um, so if you just look up Serious Eats wood-fired oven pizza dough, you'll find it. And it's very small amount of yeast absolutely no added oils or sugars and you mix it up and then you put it in the fridge and it can 
it can sit there thinking about itself for like up to four days, but I use mine after like sort of one. One of the things I love about this podcast is mm. when you launched yes. into this tale about the pizza oven, yeah. I was thinking, wow, how's she, how's she segued this out of Cressida Campbell? Like what's made her think about the pizza thing? And then I've realised it's, it's not the about content. Pizza. It's, no, it's not the content. It's the it's the excitement level because yeah. I've, oh. been, I've been so excited about Cressida Campbell and you've gone, oh, I've got something very exciting, my pizza. <laughs> Oh, it has been like a pleasure, a pleasure. <laughs> and it also comes with this sort of carbon steel pan, which is allegedly for making pan pizza. I don't know. Does anyone want to make pan pizza? I certainly don't. Well, but, crispy, don't you? but you can also use it to roast things at a really high heat. So my next plan is to do some shellfish like that marin that we made oh, in yeah. WA and just give it a massive blast for like... 30 seconds or something. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, anyway, I'm probably about to get a whole lot of mail saying, Jesus Christ, mate, you can't put a, yeah. a, a prawn <laughs> into that temperature. Yeah. You'll hurt yourself. Yeah, well, that was my next question. Can it do anything other than pizza? Yeah, well, I mean, Brussels sprouts apparently amazing. Right. You know, sort of like, I guess it's like a wood-fired oven, right? Like, so yeah, just, right. you so, know, hot and hard. wonder if that dude who sets fire to everything would be able to come up with some plans for it. You know that guy? <laughs> narrow it down, mate. I don't know who you're talking about. The guy that is it we, one of our friends? Guy, just so, is it your second born? <laughs> no. Um, uh, what's the name of the restaurant? Fire Door. We, oh, we, yeah. we were joking when he was on Chef's Table saying you'd ask that guy to like, hey, honey, could you please just whack some chicken nuggets <laughs> on for the kids' dinner? And he'd be out the back setting fire to things and putting you're chicken right. nuggets on I it. should write to him. <laughs> it's quite right. Well done. Um, So so, that has really massively improved my life. Thank you very much. Mm. Um, Hey, I was thinking before, sorry, when we're talking about Canberra, we should give a shout out to our Canberra show. Oh, yeah. 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 December the 18th. Yep. So So close to Christmas. Tickets are online. Yep. Yep. They are online and uh, it's at Llewellyn Hall as per usual. Have a look at under events on the Chat 10 website and Adelaide we're going to as well. Yeah, November the 25th. Yep. Yeah. so your Canberra show, uh, just marking your diaries, that's December the 18th. December the 17th is when I'll start writing that goddamn 12 oh, Days of Christmas thing. It's just, <laughs> I always feel so bad for you that I don't know if when you started doing that, whatever the first year was that we did that, if you intended it to become a yearly thing, which for anyone who's not familiar with it, she rewrites the 12 Days of Christmas to be about the year in politics. And it's always really hilarious but very, very high degree of difficulty. And then, um, yeah, she'll be finally fine-tuning it in the car on the way down or whatever and then we look at it right before we go on. I just, I always feel like in the days leading up to it, like I just don't even want to text Crab because she's got to be doing that. No, I love it. I love it. Really? Hey, I've just had a brilliant idea. As I just, do you know what scans perfectly? What? The 12 days of Liz Truss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. God, sometimes you're so clever. I am. That's sometimes incredible. so stupid. So very stupid. My uh, my book streak continues. Okay. I really want to know about something you're watching on TV, but please go ahead with your book streak. It's fine. Don't worry no, about me. It's fine. No, no, no. I really want to talk about what you want to ask me about. Okay. So. Well, because you've, you've been holding this out for me for every yeah. live show and then you don't raise it. And it's, yeah. it's a new TV show with Louis C.K. and Pamela Radwan. Really and I've been, I want, well, whatever it is, I, you've been dangling it in front of me and then you never actually raise it. And I'm like, oh, I want to know about that. Okay. Well, okay. So what I'll, is I'll it? talk about it. Or will I? Uh, <laughs> okay. So it's called Better Things. Yeah. And I think it's been around for a while. Like it's, I'm watching series three now. Oh, so it's okay. Been, Disney yeah. Plus, you said. It's Disney on. Plus, yeah. yeah. And it stars and is 
created by Pamela Adlon yeah. um, and it's co-written by Louis C.K. Now, Pamela Adlon, for anyone who's thinking, why well, don't I know the name, she was in Californication. Yep. She was Charlie Runkle's wife. He's the guy from Sex and the City, if you're trying to piece it together. Right. And she also has periodically appeared in Louis. Yep. His show, she's she's good friends with Louis C.K. Right. Yep, okay. So Louis C.K. is kind of like an on-screen silent partner here. He's not in the series, but the show really contains a lot of – It's it's got a lot of the vibe of Louis and the stuff that we really loved about it, I think, okay. um, which is this sort of like real – reality of what life is really like, you know, right. with its sort of awkwardness and, you know, so on. And so Pamela Adlon in this series is a single mum. She lives in LA. She has three daughters and a sort of deadbeat ex who doesn't help very much. And her life is a total shambles and she's constantly trying to just, you know, keep all her shit together whilst working. And what, kids and what are, does she do for a living? She's an actor. Oh, yeah. okay, right. So there's a lot of kind of she's on set, you know, in a zombie movie being, you know, <laughs> someone's lying on top of her and she's like checking her email to, you know, work out whether the kids are going to make it to dance lesson or whatever. Like there's this kind of guy that she's secretly dating who's married and so that's a bit of a debacle. And her mum, who's this sort of narcissistic English woman um, played by to perfection by Celia Imri, lives across the road. So she's constantly sort of dropping in. But the the kids are amazing. Like Max is the eldest. She's like a teenager when the series begins. And then there's Frankie in the middle. And then there's a little one called Duke who's the youngest. And I've loved it more and more as I get through the series Ah. just because like – I've just watched the one where she has a um, colonic irrigation. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so brutally frank and it's so brilliantly captures this sort of working mum situation. You know, she's constantly feeling kind of a bit inadequate, but she's such a great character. Like she's a huge, warm-hearted person. She's very, very funny and, and, and a bit sort of socially accident prone. It's right. just, it's glorious. Oh, it sounds really good and it does sound like it ticks a lot of the boxes that I really liked um, from Louis, which as yeah. you know I found hard. I, I was yeah. oh, particularly particularly cut yeah, by. I was a conversation with Jeremy last night where he said, um, oh, you know, I just think Louis C.K., like his offences weren't as bad as some of the other kind of Me Too people. And I thought... They weren't, but still. I just thought, I felt like the offence was deeper because I just trusted him so much. Same. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's not, it's not actually the, for me, it's not the nature in his yeah. case. It's not the nature of the offence. It's the fact that I feel, feel like I got made a fool of. Right. Because and, I, the, I, and the unoriginality of the offence. Yeah. I mean, like, I just think, oh, my main thing was just like, Oh no! Yeah, it's not it, really. It was because the the show, Louis, the show was so clever and so insightful about yeah. human nature and so intelligent that the nature of his offences were just so stupid that you just, I just felt like, who even are you? Because I thought you were this bloke who wrote this great, clever show, and turns out you're just a idiotic schlub yeah so yeah it it kind of I know that sounds really weird to have taken it so personally but I just felt like I really took that personally yeah me too I just remember this great moment in I think it must be early series three um of better things which I just like I watched it and I just was crying with laughter so there's a debacle at her house there's a power outage 
and there's kids everywhere and she's like, oh, you know, she's got a hundred things on. She's like, Jesus, I can't cope with this. And this sort of hot school dad who's divorced from, you know, quite recently divorced from one of her kind of friends shows up to pick up his kid who's over there and says, why don't you have a generator? Like everybody around here has a generator. She's like, well, what, why do you, th- how would I buy it? What generator? I'm like, and he goes, I'll take you to like Walmart, or whatever. And so they go on this trip to Walmart and he helps her buy a generator. She's very grateful. And he has some great words of advice for her about, you know, kind of single living or whatever. And it's clear as they're driving, you know, that there's some moment happening. Like she's just like, oh, you're such a nice guy and, you know, you've helped me buy this generator. And so it's clear that they're about to have a snog and she's like, she starts saying, no, 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 no. And she's just like, no, 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 because she can tell she's really tempted to jump into this pash, but she knows that it's like massively complicated, you know, school, kids, you know, like, no, 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 no. So she's clearly trying to control her impulses. And then, sorry, this is gross. And like, but he then says something like, so foul. He then says something like, at least taste my cock. And then and she just goes, Thank you. Thank you. The moment's over. Oh my God. That's disgusting. Like, so all of a sudden, she's just like not tempted anymore. Oh, he's that's said great. This appallingly unsexy thing. Oh, just, that's like, fantastic. I was on the ground just laughing. It's so funny. But it's like that, you know. And that's the bit that reminds me a bit of Louis, you know, just this is particularly, yeah. you know, between consenting adults, these horribly awkward sort of moments. Yeah. Um, there's some beautiful moments in Louis like that where there was, there's one where he goes, to a dinner party and he and this woman are really disliking each other and not getting on and then they hook up in his car outside and it's just so ridiculously awkward. And then there's another brilliant episode where he's in a car with a driver going somewhere and the driver keeps talking and talking and he's like, I've got to get on stage and perform. I can't have you in my headspace. And he ends up eventually saying would you mind if we could just be silent and then the driver's really offended (laughs) and it just keeps kind of – it's that beautiful thing where – Rather than kind of moving on from awkward moments, it's like in Louis, they just dive deeper and deeper and deeper oh. into them. It's like the office, actually. It can reach sort of 40 towers levels oh, of just pain. It's classic, yeah, 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 really funny. But so is Louis C.K. a writer on this? Is that yeah, the, so, right? Yeah. He and Pamela Adlon Correct. wrote it. Right. Yeah. But there's also like just these great, there's great cameos that show up. Like she eventually goes to see his therapist and she walks in and it's Matthew Broderick. <laughs> <laughs> She's oh, getting therapy from an ageing Ferris Bueller, which is pretty funny. Oh, that's and, great. But Matthew Broderick turns out to be a kid from her primary school who had this mad crush on her for years. <laughs> oh, like, great. And there's this great line where he says something and she says, oh, I bet you say that to all the girls you went behind the bike shed with. And he says... You are all the girls I went behind the bike shed with. It's such a good one. I love it when there's a cameo that comes out of nowhere and it's kind of unexpected. Oh. Like in Arrested Development, Henry Winkler, the Fonz, is their lawyer. And then at a certain point he just gets replaced and the new actor and the new lawyer is Scott Bayo. No. <laughs> 
Oh, and it's just, it's so bloody hilarious because it entirely, the gag and, and the way that the reveal is done, it entirely relies on you knowing something yeah. about a show that has absolutely no relationship to Arrested Development whatsoever. And yet it's just so bloody funny. And also because that show, the voiceover is Ron Howard. So oh, God. It's just, there's so many kinds of. It must be so of, much fun to like write a show like oh. that that's at the peak of its power so you can just get anything that you want. And, and just to, to sort of think, hey, I've got an idea. What if we were to replace um, Henry Winkler with Scott Payo? <laughs> like, it's just an insane yet hilarious idea, which works. I like, we just, I was watching it with my ex husband, and the, the moment when they cut to. <laughs> Scott Bayo's face as their new lawyer. We just both were screaming with laughter. It was so It's like so when funny. Um, the actor who played Becky and Roseanne changed and yeah. there's this great moment when, after the changeover where the new Becky walks in and they just go, you've changed. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's really good just kind of calling it out like that. Yeah. Hey, so, um, I will mention something that I've been watching too, uh, yes. which is the new series of Heartbreak High. Oh, yeah. Which has gone absolutely gangbusters. Ah, has it? It's a sort of Aussie Netflix production. Right. And it's like, it is remarkable. So it's set at Hartley High and a whole new cast of characters. It's full on, like there's full kind of sex content. The series opens where two of the main characters who've had this inexplicable falling out are discovered for the fact that they've been drawing this sex map on this sort of disused stairwell in an underutilised part of the school and it's like basically a chart showing who's ever hooked up with everybody else. <laughs> oh, anyway. God. So they go into, they get into like massive trouble. Um, but the writing is so good. Like it's super edgy and it's great. Like I really, yeah, it's, oh, good. it's really great TV. And um, one person who, like there's terrific actors, but one person who is just incredible is this actor called James Maduce. I hope, James, I'm pronouncing that name correctly. And I've seen them in a production of Fangirls, you know, that oh, yeah. um, Belvoir production that I went on and on and on and on and on and on about. And they are just incredible screen presence and I predict massive things for mm. that actor. Yeah. Speaking of um re well it's not really a remake, but it's kind of a reworking of the same material. I watched on a flight a couple of episodes of The Staircase, which oh. is that Colin Firth, Tony Collette drama. Just gonna be absolutely amazed to see how you can fully relate this to Heartbreak High. But anyway. Well yep. because a remake it's a rejig yeah. of the staircase the yeah. documentary. Yeah. So I absolutely loved the documentary of yeah. the staircase. Have yeah. you seen that? Yes I have. So yeah. um and Michael Peterson's the name of the guy who's charged with murdering his wife in it, and so Colin Firth plays Michael Peterson. Look, it just didn't hold my interest as much, and I think the reason is it's perfectly well Did done. Did you finish it's high it? quality. No. It's perfectly good. Colin Firth's great, all the rest of it. But I think the issue is firstly just familiarity with the material, and there's mm. so many twists in that yeah. story yeah. that watching it for the first time you were just glued. Yeah. You're like, what? So knowing what's coming and stuff I think is a big issue. Yeah. And also part of the fascination I think with The Staircase, the documentary, was being able to look at these real people yeah. and actually look at Michael Peterson where they'd given, for anyone who's unfamiliar with it, they gave fly on the wall access to, to a documentary French crew. French documentary crew, which is for the in defense. itself just this bizarre story. Right? Yeah, the defence gave fly on the wall access. So you're watching as they prepare the case and – these revelations come along. I mean, Michael Peterson's a very complex character and, and you really are very, as a viewer, just 
uncertain about his guilt or innocence. Right, yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of the reason that was compelling is because the real Michael Peterson and also the guy who was his lawyer who was a great character, like they're just very, very puzzling, baffling, well, Michael Lewis is, uh, Michael Peterson is um, a baffling kind of character in reality. So for me, once you remove that layer, I didn't find it quite so um, compelling really. I wonder if it, I mean, the the doco screened so long ago that there must be just generations of people who haven't oh, seen it. Oh, tons of people wouldn't have seen and it. I actually it. do think it would be worth, if you haven't seen the original doco, watching the series first. I agree. And then watching the doco. Definitely. Um, also, Tony Collette plays the wife and so there's lots of sort of flashback material with her and I think, you know, I think it's worth it just for Tony Collette. Strangely enough, and it must be an algorithm thing, two clips have shown up um, you know, on my social media recently when I've been watching Tony Collette and just thinking, geez, she's amazing. One is... Um, I can't remember the name of the film and I'd never seen it and it's a dinner table scene. You might know it when I mention it. Mm. It's a dinner table. Gabrielle Burns, her husband, and she's she has a fight with her son. There's clearly been an accident in which her daughter's been killed and the son is in some way responsible for right. it. And he bas- the son basically says, oh, have you got something to say, Mum? Why don't you just say it? And she's, like, trying to restrain it and then she just has this screaming kind of monologue at him while Gabrielle Burns going, that's enough. Um, anyway, that's she, enough. She, de- she delivers it incredibly it's so amazing but then maybe because i watched that and then the clip flicked up which has got to be one of my all-time favorites it's from muriel's wedding god i loved rachel griffiths in that film she was i mean they were both the whole film it's one of my favorites but it's the one (laughs) where they're at hibiscus island and um 10 points for remembering the name of the island (laughs) i've seen the film so many times muriel's bumped into Rhonda, played by rachel (laughs) griffiths and they see um Sophie Lee and her cohort of girlfriends and Tanya goes over and says to them, um, you know, it's kind of friendly and they're like, oh, well, you could have a drink with us because you've changed and when someone's changed and I say they've changed, that's fine. So, Ron, do you come and you're here by yourself, come and have a drink with us. And um, Rachel goes, wow, you want me to have a drink with you? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Um, and then she just leans in. Sophie Lee's just married this guy called Chook and yeah. she goes, um, Chook's been reading the cold. Um, Muriel <laughs> saw them in the laundry at your wedding. And then the, the cool girl's face is all just dropped and then um, Rachel Griffiths put a sunny, puts the sunnies on and she goes, oh, and I'm not here with nobody. I'm with Muriel. <laughs> and she walks off. It's just so great. But Rachel Griffiths in that film, oh, she's just such a life force. Yeah. She's so fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Just love it so much. Uh, um, now, um, <laughs> uh, that was, I haven't, I haven't laid a finger on her list. That was just a very satisfying, you know, I mean, hello, timekeeper. How long have we been talking to you? Oh, well, we better, like, I think we that should, was a, I think we should end this episode because then you've, I've kept cutting you off every time you yeah, want to talk about books. I want to talk about then, one book and then, um, I'll keep well, the other books we, for next time. Well, just why don't one, we put all the books in um, then for no, next time? No, because I'm just going to do one. Okay. Okay. Just quickly all because right. I've. Read it a while ago, yes. and um, I've been meaning to talk about it. And I didn't raise it in Melbourne because I don't know. In the Melbourne show, we kind of we got to a few darkish things, and I thought mm, I'm not going to mention this book because it's another sort of darkish thing. Oh yeah. So it's Chloe Hooper's book. Oh yeah. Um, which is called Bedtime Story. That's right. Yes. Which I actually I sort of had on my bedside table for a while and I sort of didn't crack it open because I thought it's about sad things, it's about sad things and I already feel a bit sad. You know how sometimes you feel like, oh, yes, yeah. But actually it's one of those situations where as soon as I started reading it, I went, oh, 
no, this is wonderful. Like it was really helpful. Right. And it's funny, isn't it, sometimes if you're a bit of a stamp it down deep type person like me, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't read that because I've got a million things to do and maybe it'll crack me open and I'll just won't be able to stop crying. So um, Chloe Hooper, who's, you know, a writer of genius, well-established, great non-fiction writer and a great observer, mm. um, she... It's kind of like a, a sort of a memoir of a kind. She writes about what happens when her husband, who's Don Watson, great writer in his own backyard, uh, is diagnosed with a very aggressive sort of leukaemia and all of a sudden she has to confront this question of how to tell their very young children what's happening and, like, what could happen and how to talk about death to little kids. And so she kind of does this extraordinary thing where she turns to um, children's literature and works through, she looks to children's books for answers. But what you get along this sort of meditation is this incredibly beautifully observed meditation on death in literature and how you kind of explain life and death to children. I'm explaining it quite badly. but No, I think you're explaining it really well. I've read it too. And, yeah, I, yeah it is a hard book to explain. Yeah. Do you know one of the things I really enjoyed about it, and I actually read it ages ago, it's really well illustrated in a very unique right, yeah. way because it it's not illustrated the whole way through, but periodically there'll be an illustration. And it's kind of like the book that's coming to my head is Where the Wild Things Are, where – you know how there's a section in Where the Wild Things Are where the text stops and then there's about yep. three or four pages of, I think it's when he's the doing the trip over there. Yeah. yeah. So there's some really interesting kind of not literal illustrations in the book that help put it into the world of giving it a feel like children's literature, mm. which is what she's talking about all the yeah. time. It's certainly not a children's book, but you know what I mean? It yeah. just gives a nod to basically what she's looking at. It's very well done. It's interesting that you should mention Morris Sendak as well because he's a real children's book expert in normalising fear. And that's quite a bit of the stuff that Chloe Hooper's writing about is, you know, fear and what are you afraid of as a child and how the things that you're afraid of change as you get older. And I always think that that children's book writer is a really great writer and depictor of fear. Like, yeah, you know, right. there's this whole idea of, you know, what's in the corner, what's under the bed. And the way that he writes kind of addresses, doesn't minimise that fear but turns it into something right. defiant, which right. is kind of quite spectacular. Anyway, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good book and I feared, well, I don't know, I think about books like that and I think, oh, is it going to become mawkish or is it going to become, you know, a bit twee or something but it's completely the opposite of that and I think one of the things that happens when you have a writer who's extremely well read is that when you read a little memoir-y sort of a thing you're kind of holding their hand and going for a little stroll through their reading history yeah. and, and you kind of see how she processes things and connects things and so in a very weird sort of way you're also witnessing the process that she uses to undertake nonfiction writing, you know, yeah, where right. she starts, how she researches, how she organises things. And I found yeah. that really fascinating as well. Yeah, that was really interesting. Hey, you mentioning where the wild things are mm. just made me wonder, apropos of nothing, just about something I was Googling. Have you read all of the Harry Potters? No, I haven't. And part of the reason for that is that I haven't needed to because we have all of the audio books and they oh. are like the soundtrack to my children's lives. Like, oh, so okay. my nine-year-old still, if she's having trouble getting to sleep, will turn oh, on an audio book. Okay. And, and the thing is that 
they've and we've listened to them on um, car rides and stuff like that. I remember when I first downloaded the first one, I went sixty bucks for an audio. <laughs> oh my god! But I was so desperate. We were driving to Adelaide that I'm like, okay, bugger it, right. sixty bucks it is. I think they're substantially cheaper than that now. But I was like, God, dear God! Right. But you also get Stephen Fry and all of his yeah, right. glory. But um, well, now they've listened listened to it so many times that I can, particularly with my nine year old. Um, open up any Harry Potter audio book and play her um, 10 seconds and she'll tell us exactly which book it's from. Oh, wow. It's nuts. Well, um, the reason I ask was because I was Googling for some reason best-selling books of all time. I don't know what piqued my interest on this, but I was absolutely shocked to see like the Harry Potter books 500 million. But then other ones, when you were talking about where the wild things are, yeah. it reminded me of The Hungry Caterpillar. Yeah. That's like in the tens of millions. Like the best-selling books of all time, the Bible obviously is number yeah. one and it's in the billions. Yeah. Harry Potter I think is next and it's 500 million. And then oh the other God. really major selling books, they're in the hundreds of and tens of millions. Yeah. And I just had no idea that that is the scale of sales. And then I realised, oh, my God, I haven't read any of the Harry Potter books. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know how that's but have kind your of kids? happened. Well, they're not sort of – they've watched the films. I've not really watched the films either, I must admit. But um, they haven't been big on reading those for some reason. But it yeah. just it does feel like a major thing to have not read, especially now that I know that 500 million other people have. Right. Boy, so. you're going to be embarrassed at that cocktail party <laughs> with those 500 million people, the odd woman out. <laughs> now, look at you. You've squirrelled on another 10 minutes. I have. And it's only because you're on leave. It wouldn't have happened in, with normal sales. All right, I'm calling. Hooray!